Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thank you for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Before we get started, I need to give a quick shout out to all of my patrons. Many thanks to you for your support. Remember that 10% of my ad and patron money goes to support local LGBTQ youth via a charity called Encircle. Check out my link tree for more information about their great work. Lastly, I want to thank all of you for helping support me and my friend Matthew in our first Kickstarter. It was a ton of fun to work on, to make. It was a ton of fun to work with all of the really cool and creative people that we collaborated with to make it happen. And it was a ton of fun to play test it. And then it was a blast to put it out there into the world and see the support we got from you, my listeners, and from people all over the community and from all over the globe. We're working on fulfilling it as we speak, probably. If you're listening a little earlier, it may be wrapping up very shortly. But if you were a supporter, look to get your hands on that very soon. And again, a thank you to you for believing in me and for being interested in some other cool stuff that I make that isn't necessarily part of this show. And thanks to listening to me uh, harp on it over these last few weeks as well. Because of the success of this Kickstarter, I'm sure that Matthew and I will be looking to make some more in the future. We haven't quite settled on what we're going to work on yet specifically. We're going to be using some of the money we made from this one to help budget for our art and other costs that are coming in. So we'll be kind of settling on what that's going to be during the holiday season and perhaps decide and start working on it earlier in the new year. I feel like the earlier we decide on what it is and um, can announce it and start building hype for it, the better. Again, thanks for bearing with me and listening to me chat about it and thanks for supporting it. It really means a ton to me. Now, on to this episode's guest intro. Neil Powell, aka Joke Maniac Online, is one of the hosts of the long-running and well-regarded D&D chat show Dungeon Masters Block. He's chatted with countless talented DMs in his time and also flexes his creative muscles with his own publications, both game supplements and other D&D content. Enjoy. So my actual name, I guess, is Floyd. So let's start there. That's super fun. But most people on the internet and certainly listeners to your show will know me as DM Neil, a.k.a. Jote Maniac. Jack of all trades, master of none, IAC. And my D&D backstory, that's, it's an interesting one because I was brought into the game, oh no, I have to say that out loud, 20-something um, <laughs> years ago by a pastor. It's on the edges of post-Satanic Panic, but I would still say it's in the ballpark. But I was brought in by someone that was an ordained minister just because he viewed it very similar to how I view a lot of things is most things can be used how you would like to use them. So in the same vein that like D&D can be whatever type of game you want it to be, or it could be as dark as you want. And there are a lot of very interesting stories that he has about some of the darker times of people that showed up at his table and quote, I can't cast this spell unless I read this out of my actual spell book. And he was like, no, that's probably a bridge too far for my personal table. No, thank you. I started in second edition with the Sinister Secrets of Saltmarsh 
it's the U series back in second edition. And I know it wasn't built this way, but I know how he did it. And it becomes the way that you see a lot of starter sets built. He made pre-generated characters for me to play. So he made a whole party and helped guide me through. And at the end said, what did you like? Like, what character did you enjoy playing the most? Then we played a solo campaign from there, and then I actually joined his home game after that. That's funny. Yeah, uh, I think most people probably have not been introduced to D&D by a minister, but, you know, there's a few out there, I'm sure. A very unique experience, I would say, to the TTRPG world, probably. Yeah. That's kind of how you started playing. You got invited to his game. Do you remember when you decided, hey, I want to try running my own games? Do you remember kind of how that got started and maybe what your first games were like? I can say thank you. Yes, that's a weird way to answer this question, but I want to thank you because I didn't honestly remember because I didn't think about it that much because I always DM. So in a lot of ways, that start point was just this really big blur until I started listening to your show, and then it dawned on me, I bet I can figure this out. And I did figure this out. So in 3rd edition, 3.5 days, they had something called, and this is going to be fun for you and me because listeners can't see, they have the Dungeons & Dragons adventure game. The adventure begins here. Basically, it was like a starter box set that's really, really simplified. Like your pre-generated characters are on these the plasticky kind of sheet. It's all done out for you. The map is already there. And you can dry erase, right? Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, a little bit. And then everything is tokens. So Uh like, boom, you're already ready. You have your character tokens, your monster tokens, your object tokens, everything's there. The map is already set out for having all the rooms numbered and everything is completely set up. And then it's basically just these tiny one-shot adventures with saving a unicorn, helping the Dwarven Mines. And I ran that for a couple of my buddies. And that was my first introduction into the world of dungeon mastering. Yeah, what an interesting way to to get started. I've never played that game before, but it sounds pretty fun. Is it kind of like Gloomhaven? Is that is that an approximation or not at all? Oh, no, this is full on straight from D&D. This is basically like a mini starter set directly from Dungeons and Dragons for third edition. Okay. And you still roll dice and everything. Yep. Yeah. Okay, cool. I think you, I don't remember if it came with dice. I think you'd have to have your own, but for the most part, everything is just built out for you. There's a adventure book, a rule book, and then like a basic rule book. So it's really broken apart. Pretty easy to digest and then run because it is, like I said, the first several adventures are maybe two to four pages, and then you kind of go from there. Cool, cool. Again, uh, I don't think I've had anybody say that that's how they started playing either, so uh, another first for the show. I love it. You've listened to the show before, so you know um, this question is coming, and you've known it's coming for a while, so I'd love to hear what you feel like are some of the big mistakes you've made in running your games, and what you feel like, what lessons you might pass on to the listeners from the stuff that you've learned. And then also finding an answer that's not similar to some of the answers that have come (laughs) before. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, I think a lot of people really look unfondly, usually on their beginnings, which is totally understandable because it is your beginnings. It is rare that you would start something in your life and just be wildly successful at it. 
So yeah. I know that a lot of the guests that have come on have looked back at those early sessions and thought, oh, wow, I was hot garbage, which <laughs> it totally makes sense. It's a very interesting thing to have jumped into, and it'd be rare that you would have all those skills already prepped to be able to yeah. do so. So yeah. for me, I, I think a lot of mine are honestly more recently, like reevaluating myself as a dungeon master. And so I think like one of my biggest mistakes is probably complacency mm. as a dungeon master because I run with the same people all the time. So yeah. then I think all of us just get into a cycle of what the game is and what the game will be and what the game is and what the game will be. But that's not great in the sense that like that's not probably the most fun for them. And I'm going to be honest, obviously that's not the most fun for me because then it's just kind of the same thing every time. So I think that's probably my biggest mistake as a long-term DM is just kind of falling into a pattern and just being more complacent with that process of, oh, I know what this is. Yeah, a little bit of a rut, right? And I think I can definitely say I've felt that way before as well, right? Where we were doing a, a story or, or a part of the campaign that was just kind of repetitive. It was like, okay, how do I make it different and interesting this time? After a while, you kind of recognize that and you're like, okay, you, you realize you have to shake things up to keep it interesting for you and for the players. So yeah, I think a super valuable lesson. Yeah, and taking breaks, I mean, has been mm -hmm. one of my big solutions to that. If there's like a really notable break either between campaigns or just a good spot in a campaign, I'll often try and bow out for a short run. If it's one session, if it's two or three, something in there, and just basically see if someone wants to run anything at all. Or I'll just really, really just be like, yeah, we're playing board games for like the next two or three times. We all buy board games that we don't play. Please bring one that you've <laughs> never played. It's probably got the shrink wrap still on it in your closet, so bring it on down. Inevitably, though, we end up playing Dungeon from like 1970-something. The guys that, that I'm with still have like an original copy, and that's always fun. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I know I have games in my cupboard that I have not touched before. So great idea to kind of get to those. I love taking breaks, too. I'm lucky in that my group consists of a couple of my brothers, one of which is in college. And so when he's gone for the summer, it's easy to just take a break during the summer, let somebody else run something, and then we all jump back in. Holidays are good times to take breaks too and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, big advocate for that because burnout is something that you definitely want to avoid, especially if it's a hobby that you love. Like you don't want to hate it because it becomes a chore. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing is, and I try and do it and I feel like I overdo it sometimes and probably shirk other responsibilities, but like consuming more media is probably your number one bet for like reinvigorating like that inspiration when you are feeling that rut, reading something different, watching something different, playing a different game. It's always hard though, because, and this isn't a mistake that I've made that I know of, we can ask my players, but it's certainly a mistake that I've interacted with is being over-inspired sometimes by that media that's really captured you. I think of something akin to like, oh, I played God of War. And then it just feeling like we're playing God of War at the table because I've been over-inspired. So both a plus and a minus of that advice, like I said, is going out there and finding those new pieces of media and taking parts, but certainly not taking the whole, because sometimes if it's really fresh, everyone will just know you're stealing from God of War and then may or may not call you on it. That's true. Yeah. Try to mix stuff as much as possible. On the flip side of that question, what are some things that you feel like have gone really well? Maybe um, favorite memories of games that you've played? 
really fun moments, really cinematic moments, really emotional moments that have happened at your table. Yeah, on the flip side of that, one of the things that like I know that I hadn't done for a really long time is engage more with some of the more tactile elements of the game because I I happen to have a table that is a big fan of being on grids because they are. They always have been. I assume they always will be. It's not that we don't do things theater of the mind. It's just that when heavy combat happens, which again, that's something they enjoy, then I'm going to put minis on the table. That's just a known quantity. But I think part of it was realizing like I don't invest as much time and effort into that as I can. So I did, and then they were just over the moon about the whole situation. So we're doing Secrets of Salt. Wait, no, Ghost of this messes me up every time. The original one is the Sinister Secrets of Salt Marsh. What we are currently playing in is referred to as Ghosts of Salt Marsh. Yeah. Not confusing at all. So we're playing through that, and at one point, they're trying to save a ship, and a Kraken attacks it. And I was like, I think I have one of those as part of like another board game. I'm pretty sure, and I've never painted it. Why don't I just paint this thing? Like That's a pretty big moment in this piece of the campaign. And so the way it is for that game is there's the main Kraken model and then a bunch of other tentacle models that you can put as well. Yeah, and That actually worked because the tentacles are attacking them initially and then they fight the Kraken. So yeah, I painted the whole thing up. I found this like really interesting, almost like pearlescent contrast paint to use on it. So it kind of looks more like scales and everyone had a fantastic time. And then I forgot I'm better at painting than I remember. It's just, I look online and I'm just like, this is amazing. I'll never be able to look like this. And it's like, yeah, but no one actually cares that you're not trying to like win actual awards. They just want to see cool stuff at the table. So yeah, I even did like water effects. And so all of that to say, I just went in on a piece of stuff that I hadn't before and they really enjoyed it. So noting how much they enjoyed it, I found a balsa wood like laser cut ship and I bought that and built that so that the next time we had a ship battle, there's actually like a three layered ship. And I think I bought like $2 worth of wood stain and it literally elevated the whole thing like 150% because instead of being that super light wood, now it was that dark wood that you always think of when you see a ship. Yeah, so just all of that culminating in all these more exciting pieces that honestly took me my normal amount of prep time for a session, like an hour for each of these, if that. I honestly don't think the ship took me that long because it was already pre-cut and I just jammed it together and I slapped some stain on it and then I brought it to the table. Like that, maybe 30 minutes? Yeah, not too much investment, but a big memory that everyone still talks about, I'm sure. And I think that's probably, I think you hit on it the best. It's like, had I not tried, I wouldn't have known that it was just not that much of an investment. It was, like you said, 30 minutes. And that's probably how much time I would have spent prepping for the session anyways, because I've already read the whole module, so I know what's next. And so spending that little bit of extra prep time at night, you know, everybody's already asleep anyways in my house. Yeah, but like you said, everyone remembers the boat that I brought. Yeah, my friend Matthew... He's one of the people in my game group who who kind of rotates in a DM. He has a 3D printer, and so every once in a while, you know, nice. he'll print off something new and bring it for a big fight that we've got. And it's always, I don't know, there's just something so fun about him bringing out the new mini he's made for us and, you know, the, the big epic fight. So I definitely can relate to that. 
Well, and I think of like having that boat for the next thing or the next True. thing. And then like I have other pieces because I subscribe to someone's Patreon and it's uh, the Goblin King, Michael Mordor. He, he's online and basically I have a ton of pieces from him. And then I always think of like, well, I got to figure out how to add these because I have like this whole dwarven crypt. And so like if we culminate the story somehow into a place like that, then I can just bring the whole crypt and then, you know, everything definitely changes. So Oh, man, I don't want to make more stuff. I do, though. I do and I don't. Like <laughs> This is the debate I always have with myself. I'm just like, I want to make it, but then I know my own problem is just like, yeah, but if you're going to take it and make it, you better make it really well. I'm just like, oh, I don't know. We'll see. So It's the same thing with content and with, with anything else, right? You, you're like, oh, I, I want to do it right. People say, like, perfect is the enemy of done. You don't want to like do a project unless you you think you can make it perfect. But also, yeah. it's probably better if you just do that half hour paint job and call it done, and you know I'll have fun with it. So, yep. So you've been running games for a few decades, and you've played with lots of different kinds of people. I'm sure. What do you feel like makes the ideal player? And maybe we'll narrow it to like the ideal player at your tables. The best player is someone who's actually DM'd before. We'll leave it right there, and that is probably the best umbrella statement that I could possibly make, just because your perspective on the whole situation of the table is increased a thousandfold as soon as you're on the other side of the screen. That's probably number one. I think the best player for my table is probably someone that's adaptable, and I think that's probably going to be true of almost any table, because everything changes. Everything you bring to the table, you almost have to hold with this like really tenuous grip of it's super important, but I also can let it go. And the idea of like, here's my character. They're the embodiment of what I want to be at the table. Here's all this backstory. Here are all these things. I mean, even from a technical standpoint, mechanical, like here are my special cool moves that I am this person. And these are the things I can do and the feats that I spent. But I also have to be okay that my backstory doesn't come up that I don't get to use those, that everyone else had a really good time. And so it's like, again, like being really prepared to bring forward the things that are very important, but being okay that they don't get brought up because maybe it wasn't your turn this week, but it could be your turn next week. So that's probably the ideal player for me. Yeah, I like that. There's a lot to be said for being able to share the spotlight and being flexible in the ways you've described. And I feel like, when I have players like that, or when I am a player like that, that's when we all have the most fun. I'm not a great player anymore, by the <laughs> way. We'll throw that out there. I am like a bump on a log. If I am a player these days, I will do exactly what like what I have determined my role is to best assist the party. And I'm just driving right down that lane, not hitting the bumps, not going on the shoulder. I'm just driving right down that one very specific lane whatever it may be. Hmm. I just like being there. So like if I get the opportunity to be a player, I'm just as content watching other people play and not having to be the person engaging that process with them. Don't get me wrong. If you're trying to engage me as like and have a conversation, I certainly will. But I am very unlikely to engage in that conversation as a player. I'm just so happy to just be in the seat. It's like the opposite of main character syndrome, which is something that I suffer from. Oh, yeah. Or I'm recovering from, where I'm like, this story is about me, right? I mean, it, it's about me. Like, anyway, <laughs> I, I, I definitely have been working against that. So, 
I'm over here, like, ready to be just like a quest giver with like a question mark above my head selling potions uh, rather than anything else in the game. <laughs> it needs both types, really. But yeah, uh, I definitely am focusing on, or when I play, focus on trying to be flexible and, and realize that the spotlight needs to be shared. So always working on it. And now, a word from How Not's DM's sponsors. First, let's hear from my friends Ian and James at Undercommon Taste. Are you tired of bland, mass-produced TTRPG content? Do your homebrew worlds fall flat even when you follow the secret recipe? Then you've come to the right place. I'm Ian. And I'm James. We're the hosts of Undercommon Taste. Here at Undercommon Taste, we focus on bringing out the flavor of your homebrewed TTRPG content with practical tips, discussions, and examples of 5e D&D content. We invite special guests to discuss their methods, allowing you to incorporate new ideas into your own material. We also have a full series where we cover the many different planes of existence in D&D cosmology, giving you the inspiration to combine old flavors with new techniques to create a world wholly your own. So join us on Undercommon Taste, where we stir the pot and lick the spoon. Available wherever you find your podcasts. Up next, Billowing Hilltop. We're going to give it another go. It's a bit more zing. A bit of zing. Oh, a zing. Bit zing. Of zing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready? Hello. Hello. With a hello. No, no. Hello. <laughs> hello. Oh, wait, wait till I get through the whole thing. Wait till, hello. With a billowing hilltop. Hello. Hello. Oh, dear. <laughs> wait till you get through the whole thing. No, no, I mean. I, I thought that was the whole thing. The whole thing is hello <laughs> with a billowing hilltop. Okay. That's the whole thing. Yeah? Okay. Okay. That was right. Uh, that pretty much sums up the show. But if you want to find out any more, you can visit us at www.billowinghilltop.com. Is it com? Does anybody know? <laughs> .org. Is it? <laughs> what do we do? What do we what do we play? There's monsters. Um, does anybody remember? Walking around. I don't know. And, yeah. <laughs> we will be delighted if you to join us around our table as we play Dungeon. Is it fifth edition? Hello? Yeah, we think so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We what play Dungeons and Dragons. Sorry, that was me. I what was that noise in the background? There will be noises in the background as we play Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition through the classic Paizo adventure path, The Age of Worms. You can expect this. No! Oh! Oh! a bit of this. Um, I'm completely lost. This. Blah. This. I've got a bugbear in my underpants. And one of these. Hey, uh, oh, dear. <laughs> we're on Apple Podcasts and we're on Spotify and we're on TuneIn and you can find us on Twitter and you can find us on Facebook. Uh, and we uh, hope you join us. Thanks very much. And also, Star Set. Centuries in the future, mankind stumbles and sacrifices itself across the solar system to the Kuiper Belt. Upon reaching the edge of space, however, they are left in horror. The Oort cloud is collapsing, the stars are dimming, and mankind's fate is sealed. Star Set, the Great Dimming, is a grimdark tabletop RPG launching in January 2023. An original dice pool system, resource management strategy, and choose-your-own-adventure character creation means immersive gameplay during Mankind's Darkest Chapter. Search Starset, The Great Dimming, in your browser to be notified at our January 2023 launch. You can also check out the link to that page in the episode notes. And finally, podcasteditors.online and videoeditors.online. 
Are you a podcast or video content creator who wishes you spent more time creating the content you love and less time doing the boring editing that bogs you down? Check out podcasteditors.online or videoeditors.online to see all of their awesome rates and offerings for editing content. Buy a few hours of editing a la carte or buy their bulk plans if you have more content that you need created. Check out the links in the episode notes for more information about both podcasteditors.online and videoeditors.online. And now let's get back to the second half of the show, starting off with Quickfire Chaos. Welcome to Quickfire Chaos! This week on Quickfire Chaos, Neil and I are going to roll on some random D100 tables from the internet to create a scenario to roleplay. Let's start off, Neil, with the NPC voice. Okay, I got a 98. Always end their sentence with a giggle or odd noise. Personality trait. 54. Indifferent. The trait of lacking enthusiasm or interest in things generally, remaining calm and seeming not to care, casual lack of concern, having or showing little or no interest in anything, languid, spiritless. Your NPC's job or or kind of role in society. 37. An accountant. Okay, lastly, the city quest. 74. You have received information that the sewers are a gate to the abyss. And if we continue to ignore this issue, you are sure that demons are going to start crawling out of the sewers at night. I think I'm going to play an old crotchety uh, druid who's showing up into town for his yearly like supply run or something. Okay. Like it. So yeah, like beard with leaves and twigs and stuff in it, you know, staff that's got like flowers growing out of it, standard druid stuff. You're coming through the streets and you have this character who's very indifferent. I think that's one of probably the most difficult aspects right now because he has something so very important to discuss with people, but doesn't really mind what's going on. So you're walking down the street and you see this person. So it's this dwarf. And they're both really put together, but also very dirty. It's a little bit disconcerting on the senses of like, they seem like very nice clothes that are also very dirty. Mm. It just is what it is. Oh, here you go. I got this for you. Bingo, bango. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, thanks. I'll take it and take a look at it. Yeah. And you notice that it's basically a lot of math which you can gloss over really quickly. <laughs> I kind of hold it up to the sun to like see yeah. if it makes any any sense to me. It doesn't. It makes absolutely <laughs> no sense. But you okay. do notice basically the final line saying that there are demons in the sewers. Please help. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, after careful study of, of this uh, sheet of paper you have given me, it, it appears that you're having trouble. You think there's some, some demons in, in the sewer? Is that right? Uh, well, I don't have any trouble, but I know that we'll all start to have trouble if no one addresses this. Uh, I hope someone does, but it's okay, really, either way. Bingo, bango! Uh, okay, uh, so how did you come about this information? You are just overwhelmed with the answer to the question that you have proposed. 
he takes it back and starts going through the numbers. I mean, there's small bits and pieces, and then you realize that the biggest one is a first-hand account that they had of seeing a demon in the sewers. So you're not really 100% sure why the math is involved in any way. Yeah, so uh, it seems like you're trying to calculate some probabilities. Uh, uh, there's some some ideas in here about the uh, the city and and uh, how it might depreciate if these demons continue to come. I, I think I'm, I'm starting to follow follow your logic here. So you know someone who saw a demon crawl out of the sewers, and now anyone who listen, you're, you're hoping that somebody will will figure out why and, and put a stop to it. Yeah, the bottom line is, is absolutely abysmal. I mean, it'll put us in the red. Get it? Demons? Ah, okay. Uh, go back, good, go. Great joke. Great yeah. joke. <laughs> uh, uh, it's not a big deal for me. I'll just move. Um, so then I don't, I'm not that worried about it. But I feel like this is the thing that people worry about, though. I'm sure. I'm sure that people worry about this sort of thing, but not not me. I'll, I'll like I said, I'll just move. Bingo, bango. Yeah, I, I think you're on to something there. Uh, what say you that you and I? head down there this evening and see what we can figure out. What what sort of skills you got other than uh, your your uh, mathematical skills here? He pulls out from the side a giant axe. He's like, oh, I can cut things in half too. Uh, prices or demons? Bingo, bango! Well, uh, sounds like you and I have a job cut out for us then. Let's uh, let's find a watering hole to sit, uh, lay low at for, for the remainder of the evening and then We'll go see if we can put a stop to these demons. Uh, I have a feeling that you don't want to move, even though you're okay with it. So uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do to keep this city on its feet. Cut out for it, because I have an axe. I see what you did. Bingo, bango! <laughs> oh, man. What an accountant. What a guy. What a dwarf. Somebody's got to run the numbers, and it's, <laughs> and it's this guy. I don't know why, but it's this guy. <laughs> it's him. He's got it all figured out. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that was weird, but I think you did well with it. Kind of a a strange juxtaposition of things. Yep. Cool. Transitioning now to your projects and stuff that you've done in the community. So, you've been running Dungeon Master's Block for eight years now. I went and did the math as of June. So, how did the show start? Way back in the day, you know, what's kind of the backstory of the show itself, and um, how has it been going so far? I mean, obviously, the longevity speaks for itself, but yeah, I'd love to hear. Two men and an iPhone. That's, I mean, it could be the title of a sitcom, but it is also the start of the podcast. So originally, Chris and Mitch got together and just literally that. There were certainly shows that are out there. If you think of like the really, really long running ones, like the Tome Show, the RPG Academy and things like that. But all things considered, it was a pretty small group of people that were doing this sort of thing. So they just decided to jump on and, you know, in a lot of ways, start this train that is a huge train with so, so much good content out there. It's it's staggering. And in some ways, I'm both so excited because of the information that people can have and the podcasts that they experience. And I'm just bummed out because I can only listen to so many things. Um, oh, even at yes. two times speed, I can only get through so many things. It all started... Back then, for my introduction, I started really early as a listener 
and then really engaged as a listener. And I reached out with what is oftentimes a difficult question to make it seem genuine, but I genuinely asked, what can I do to help you because I am so invested in the basically the product that you are producing, which meant editing. Obviously, I was doing editing initially, but that's where I, another guy and I, Phil, came up with DMnastics as a segment, uh-huh. and then it became its own episodes and then it moved out to its own feed and then uh, you know this that and the other i became a permanent host on the main show and have been just rolling along ever since awesome so with that in mind um do you have any goals set in the next year or so for the show or for other content that you're creating and what do you feel like is the future of dungeon master's block Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think once you start to hit that tail end, in some ways it's harder to keep traction because there are so many great shows out there. So like, how do you keep your listeners engaged enough or still finding new listeners? So I think that's really like the biggest goal is above anything else, honestly, like the listeners that are still with us, like making sure that the content is speaking to them because they're the ones like, you know, dance with the one that brought you. Like that kind of idea is that these are the people that got us where we are, then those are the people that I would hope to tailor the show to as much as possible. And as long as we're making good content that they enjoy, it's going to be content that theoretically everyone enjoys. With the ever looming 5.565 plus because it's a subscription model, because that's what everyone does. Who knows? Ever looming (laughs) on the horizon. I think one of the other goals is to always keep in mind We want our content to be evergreen. We do it in a very interesting way because like a lot of people will have someone come on potentially promoting their product. And we get a lot of people that do want to talk about something. And it's always interesting to have the conversation of like, that's cool, but we're not going to do that the whole episode. It's never been a hard conversation. It feels like the hard start of a conversation, but we've always been of the mind to tell whoever the guest is on that while you will have an opportunity to promote something in your interview section, that is not the main content of our show and it never should be. And it, you know, so that continued goal of never just being a place where things get promoted. Certainly we promote things, but like we want good content to be the main focus of the show, no matter what. Yeah, I get that. And it makes a lot of sense. Like you said, evergreen is kind of what you're shooting for. And that is a good way to do it, right? They they should have a platform to kind of pitch whatever they're working on. I try to do something similar too, right? But like, it's more about the interesting stuff they have to say or, you know, whatever topic it is that you're covering that people will come back for. Yeah. You were talking to me before we started recording about helping someone move. I don't know if that counts, but what do you feel like is the coolest connection or thing you've been invited to do because of the show? I'll answer both because I feel like those are different answers. So probably one of the coolest connection is related to what you're alluding to in that I drove six hours one way (laughs) to help someone move for several days straight and turn around and come back. But that is a perfect illustration of the relationship that I now have with Rich Howard, who when I very first started was just someone that I looked to in the TTRPG space and now who I count as one of my absolute best friends. That's probably the best connection I've gained from the podcast. And I say that because like I have that really deep connection with Mitch and Chris, but like that's part of the podcast. So like that just makes absolute sense that it would 
you like you're doing all this work together. Of course, that's just intrinsic of what's happening. But the fact that like you know, Rich Howard, like I've gone down there with a family, and his kids are the same age as my kids, and they've come to my house passing through, and just yeah, that connection is probably by far in a way the best connection I've made from the podcast. Now, the coolest thing from the podcast. D&D has a PR company that they work through, so I like working back through them because that's what a PR company exists. That's what my business degrees tell me to do, and it's always worked out pretty well. And so they had asked the question, do you live in L.A. or near L.A.? And until I find out that I need to say, not really, my answer was emphatically, why, yes, I do. Certainly. Sure. If it's north L.A., it's not that bad. It's like two and a half hours. But like, if you want me to get down to anaheim which is like the disneyland area and i hit traffic wrong it's five hours so i say yes and it's only a couple days away they're like okay well we have this spot at this event and if you'd like to go we can give you that spot i was like okay and then i'm like (laughs) i gotta check with other people namely my boss at the time and my wife because i'm just gonna disappear for a hot minute and my other thought is like i'm gonna spend more time driving than i will be at this event Roll the dice. Let's see. Let's see how they come up. And it was, as you can well imagine, completely worth it. I go. It's at this giant barcade that has like all these ski ball and like a full distillery in the middle. And they check me at the door. They're like, okay, but we're going to go outside and we'll go up this these stairs. And there's a private bar in the back of this place that's only for this event, a private open bar. And they are serving a custom cocktail called the Wubba Lubba Dub Dub because it is in promotion for the Rick and Morty starter set. Like two months before it comes out. So they're giving us copies there. And then they actually have two tables set up being ran by Dan Telfer, who does Nerd Poker, and Kate Welch, who at the time helped write the whole thing. Uh And so you just played with them as your dungeon masters and literally like my drink goes low. They bring me another drink. They have catered food. And it's like all these really big names too. of just like IGN and like Buzzfeed and me. So it's probably, like I said, like one of the coolest things that I've been invited to through the podcast is definitely. Nice. Did they do pretty good, uh, Rick and Morty and whatever else voices? Yes. And and Kate, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was so good. (laughs) I played, like, the super beefy character that was, like, added character. You had the normal, you had Rick, Morty. No, Rick wasn't a playable character. You had Summer, Beth, Jerry, and Morty. And then I think it was, like, Meathead or something like that. as like, the big beefy character to add in. So I played him. And then I literally lost my butt. I read a plaque and my butt disappeared. And then I was very angry and I took the plaque down like with a strength check. And then I just showed everyone else the plaque every chance I got because I was very frustrated about losing my own butt. So I felt that they all should lose theirs as well. Any enemy we got to, I like forced them to read the plaque. It was worth it every time. (laughs) That's incredible. I actually haven't read through that, but that does sound like a really fun experience and kind of like a, a once in a not a once in a lifetime thing, but like uh, definitely uh, high up there on fun yeah. experiences you could have as far as like exclusive or, or that kind of thing goes. Yeah. Amazing. You have been podcasting for quite a long time now and you're kind of like the, the fun older brother. I don't want to date either one of us too much by calling you like the fun uncle or whatever. You're like the yep. fun older brother of the TTRPG and D&D podcasting world. So how do you avoid creative burnout with all of the different projects you've done and, and with podcasting in general? 
the scheduling and the making sure guests show up and the editing and all that stuff. I think I'll reframe your question. Yeah, go ahead. Just in the sense that I think like it helps answer from my perspective is that the only thing you can do is get through it. You're not going to avoid it. Like you're going to get burnt out one way or the other because things will burn you out that don't really relate to the podcast. Like you have a wife and kids. So do I, I got two dogs. They busted through a fence. Like there's just like all these, all these things that can burn like, and you know, or a normal job that you go to 40 hours a week. There are so many things that could burn you out and you feel that burnout with the podcasting because it is in addition often to a lot of things that you're already doing. There are certainly are some of us that, and I'm not one of them. There are certainly some people that get to do this as their profession. And right. even those people get burnt out. And so I think it's more of how to get through that creative burnout. And it goes back to finding that really good balance of re-engaging with all the stuff that already excited you anyways. Is it going to a convention game? Is it going to a local game at your you know, your local game store and just engaging with that on whatever level you need to. Is it reading a book that you haven't read before? So here's my creative thing that I've started doing, and I call it Appendix N+. Where basically Appendix N in the original Dungeons & Dragons was a list of literary works that Gary Gygax said were inspirations to him. And those have all been read, those have been reread, those have been analyzed. If anything, they've been overanalyzed. So what I do is I'll usually end up in like a used bookstore just because oftentimes it's my sanity for when my wife wants to shop at other stores and I'll just go to the used bookstore because I know I can get, I'll get a lot of time out of that single store. And what I'll do is I'll pull up Appendix N and I'll look at the author's names and find works that aren't listed. Basically, yeah, finding those, those other pieces because if one piece was inspirational, why wouldn't another piece that they've written also be inspirational? So from books, that's that's kind of the avenue that I've gone down to just, there's something about like some element of adventure as well, because you don't know what the used bookstore has. Does it have any of these authors? Does it have all of these authors? What works do they even have from them? So that is currently my go-to when I find myself in a used bookstore is Appendix N+. Yeah, I like that. I've also found that like having hobbies to fall back onto, and that kind of thing help. And like you said, you, sometimes you just have to get through it because life inevitably throws you tons of curveballs. Between my season one and two, I moved to a different house. So moving and unpacking is a huge thing that can burn you out pretty easily. There's people in your life that get sick or there's whatever else that happens. There's tons of curveballs to deal with. Yeah, great advice to, to help kind of deal with all of that. Other than Dungeon Master's Block, we've worked on a lot of other cool projects like Diamnastics, which you mentioned earlier, um, which has become its own show. You've published some stuff for games. So yeah, what have been some of the fun projects that you've worked on? The other podcast is called Whelmed the Young Justice Files, which is basically Mm -hmm. a show analyzing the show Young Justice. It started more than 10 years ago, and it was written in a way when like, it's not episodic. Like you can't really just watch one episode. You can once you're all done and you can enjoy the individual episodes. But the best way to describe the show is that it is a living world that each season we get to look in on. The world will continue with or without us and it will go forever on because the characters that started at 15 are now 25 because that's the natural progression of time and in turn the show. But things are written that way. And so it's analyzing these story beats where things are planted in season one that culminate in season four. Who does that? What in the world? 
And so analyzing that show and the things that have come out of that have been really out there. It doesn't live in the world anymore. And I, we weren't able to pull down a copy, but we basically did like audio visual commentary on a few episodes for DC universe. We were on DC daily. They're like daily news show, I think like six or 10 times. So like literally drive down, go to Burbank, hair and makeup, soak that in hair and makeup. <laughs> and then you're on there and you know it's full set boom cranes mic'd up lapels the whole nine yards and we we've gotten to know the producers pretty well that's another thing producers and voice actors so it's definitely a show that's really interesting in the sense that its listenership isn't all that high i mean even compared to the dungeon masters block but i would say the quality of that listener is is crazy that the producers and the voice actors and these people caught on to the show and really enjoyed it because every now and then we'll get a solid ribbing from one of the producers who says, like, why are you giving me grief about this on the show, blah, 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 and that kind of thing. And then yeah. we'll just go back and forth. So I, I think that's probably one of the other things. And then for D&D, probably the most fun thing I've done is the ultimate guide to hair, which I did with my co-host of Diagnostics, Celeste Conowich. We made an entire supplement for fifth edition that is to die for D-Y-E because you're dying your hair. Da, 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 da. And that was just a lot of fun. I mean, it was hard, certainly at times because you're running a Kickstarter, you're fulfilling a Kickstarter. But we did the whole thing in the time frame that we set and everyone got their stuff. So I feel like we did a really successful Kickstarter. Yeah, totally. There's tons of people out there who are always contemplating doing a Kickstarter. And so to have done one successfully is really an accomplishment. Yeah. Coming down to the end of the show here, so I'd love to hear a couple of pieces of advice you have for Dungeon Masters and then also for people who are thinking about creating content or who are running their own shows or anything like that already. Uh, Yeah, do you have uh, some advice for those two groups of people? So again, we'll just thank you for this piece of advice because you let me know about a piece of advice that I had given that I did not remember giving in any way, shape, or form. But I do agree that it's probably one of the best pieces of advice I just inadvertently spurted out at some point. No matter what you're doing, you need to wrap your brain around the fact that it could be more important to someone else than it will ever be to you. Mm-hmm. it's really weird it's a very tough concept to really grasp but your content could find someone at the right time to again become more important to them than it will ever be to you which is mind-blowing that could be you running your home game because it's a safe place for your players to come and not have to think about their job not have to think about their you know whatever relationships issues they may have it could be a listener that you never know about you don't hear positive words or anything or it could be someone that reads that book that it was the perfect thing that they needed it was them seeing their own voice on the page it's just a wild concept as a content creator but again just to reiterate the thing you make can and probably will be more important to someone else than it is to you as the creator when do you feel like you first noticed that happening Did you have people reaching out to you? Was that kind of how you saw it? Yeah. And like, it's interesting because you also hear it. You hear it secondhand and Mm. you're still not grasping it until it's first. You hear about the messages that some content creators will receive and we received them. 
And like, that's when it, like, it's weird because it's like, I heard, it's not that I didn't believe the person when they were saying it. It's just, it didn't hit until you were reading an email about the stuff that you had created and the things it was actively doing for someone else on the other side. And it's just, like I said, it, it's tough even now, like telling you, it's still a really hard concept, even for me to grasp, knowing firsthand that it has happened. Yeah. After you mentioned that to me, I could see how it that kind of thing had happened in my own life, like me really latching on to specific stuff that I'd consumed that I really loved and like the people that had made it and realizing, yeah, you know, for them, I mean, they like doing it, but it's it might be their job or it might it might just be way more uh, meaningful to me than them for whatever reason. Uh, so I could definitely see that in my own life. And I guess that's why it really resonated with me so much. The introspection and that flip side of it is also a really important piece, knowing that a piece of content that you've consumed could end up being much more important yeah. to you than it was for the creator. And that's just a fun word of advice on how to potentially engage later with that creator, knowing that the content may have been more important to you than it was for them. Because like you said, they could have been mid-burnout. Everything outside of the content they were creating is just in flames. And everything is falling apart around them, but they showed up. They showed up for that stream. They showed up and finished that podcast. They showed up and finished that article. But for them, that could have been like one of the worst times of their personal lives. It's funny how that works. I feel like there's tons of examples of it in like pop culture anyway, like movies that people made and directors later on will say, oh, actually, you know, I did this and this and this and I hate this movie that I have made and and yet so many people love it. You know, that happens all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) to wrap things up here i'd love for you to tell the people where they can find you where they can find your work and then if you've got any other projects coming up that people might want to hear about if you search dungeon masters blog which honestly also i'm going to just a small piece of advice some of the success of the show is just what's known as search engine optimization because if someone types in dungeon master the show pops up I, I mean, like, let's just be honest. It's, some things are very simple and straightforward. Good content keeps them there, but the fact that you search Dungeon Master and it potentially pops up is pretty solid. So if you search Dungeon Master's block on all the things, be it social media or your podcatcher of choice, we should pop up. And in all honesty, if we don't, find me. Let me know. I am on Twitter at Jotmoniac. Like I said, Jack of all trades, master of none, IAC. And actually, we're going to be folding DMnastics back into the main feed for my personal sanity, because it's too hard to have two feeds. And I think it'll just work out overall to be back in people's ears once a week through one feed. The content that Celeste and I create is absolutely the most fun. It's just two people having a good time talking to each other. Yeah, I love it. Is the plan to do regular scheduled DMs block episodes and then regular gymnastics episodes without the superset stuff in between kind of thing. Yeah. So then the, the alternating would be dungeon masters block gymnastics, dungeon masters block gymnastics. And that'll put both shows at a bi-weekly release, which makes it pretty easy. And then at that point, Celeste and I will be able to focus. Probably we'll, we'll do one exercise basically a month and one article a month. I've enjoyed doing the articles because I think it is a fun exercise to try and be better about engaging with the information. Oftentimes, the super clickbaity information that get thrown our way for Dungeons and Dragons because it is the new hotness. So oftentimes you'll have someone 
And I do understand it from a very business perspective. It does not mean I enjoy it, but I do understand the idea that if I say these are the 10 best things about every class, that means I just created 10 articles, 15 articles, because I'm going to do one about every class, which obviously means I need to say the 10 worst things about every class, which means I just created 20 to 30 articles. Now I'm half a year worth of content, every deity, every... I get it. I do. I really understand it. It doesn't mean I like it. but yeah so we'll be folding folding all that back in and then of course you know and i've been i've been trying to build a pretty substantial backlog so that i can stay with it but there will be new articles on my personal website the struggle is neil where i have a series called from lp to rp which is taking an album cover and making it into fifth edition content and if i run out of album covers the other one that i've come up with is from label to table where we take wine and beer labels and making them into fifth edition content. That's a great idea. Yeah. Some of them are nothing, but some of the like beer and wine models are just astronomical how much effort they put into the art that goes on those, which makes sense because then they pop off the shelf. You're interested enough to look at it. So yeah, usually, I mean, I don't like wine in any way, shape or form, but I do like taking pictures of it when I'm in the store. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. And thanks for giving us some of your wisdom. And yeah, excited to check out some of those blog articles that when they're coming out. And um, yeah, see what you know, whatever else uh, you think of, I'm sure it'll be awesome. Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. Now it's time for a sneak peek into next week's guests, Callum and Paul of Homebrew Havoc and many other actual play shows and projects. It's interesting that you call back on being an oldest child and therefore like being in charge. I'm the youngest child of four. And I think the reason I like being in charge is because I've never had, never been able to do it in my family. <laughs> being the youngest and always being spoken down to because there's a bit of an age gap between me and the next one up. Paul, this explains yep. so much. <laughs> <laughs> I, at a DM's table, I'm like, yes, my pretty, you will do as I say. <laughs> <laughs> to hear more about Paul's DM power moves, the amazingly talented creative community the two have built together, and more, tune in next week. Remember to check out my Patreon if you haven't already for even more sneak peeks. Here's a friendly reminder to rate and review the show and to share it with friends and family who play TTRPGs as well. New reviews will be read on the end of each episode as a thank you. Thanks to the team at T4C Studios for helping edit and produce this episode. And one last plug here for Too Hot One Shot. If you haven't already, please go check it out on Kickstarter. It would mean a ton to me if you would just look at it and share it with your friends and family, even if you don't have the budget right now to put any money towards it. But if you're planning a holiday one shot this year, I strongly suggest that you consider this. It's a ton of fun. It creates really funny content to share with your friends, with your family, with the internet. And it was just a ton of fun making it and playtesting it. And I know you'll have a lot of fun if you try it out too. That's the plug. The last few thank yous here, my intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacat, and the Quickfire Chaos mood music is by my friend Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And as always, until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.